it's good for us to gather together and be reminded of the glory and the sovereignty of our God. This morning we continue in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19, please turn with me then to the middle of this chapter. This morning we'll be looking and considering verses 12 to 29. And as you're turning there, let's to think for a few minutes about the ways that we remember great tragedies that have taken place in our own lives, in the lives of those we loved, in the lives of our own nation and country. Because we recognize the need to remember, to respect, to honor those who have lost their lives and suffered greatly during these tragedies. So there are many ways in which we offer these remembrances. Uh, as a nation, we may fly our flag at half-mast, lowering the flag to symbolize the mourning and respect that we have for those who have endured a tragedy and even died. But then for other tragedies, we will go and set up a shrine where the tragedy has occurred so that people can go there and remember what has happened and what had taken place. They can add letters or flowers or other gifts at the shrine in remembrance of the tragedy. Finally, another approach that has become quite common today is to observe a time of silence as a way to soberly reflect on the tragedy that has taken place. Well, today we come to one of the greatest tragedies that has happened in human history. But too often we fail to remember what happened and we act as if it doesn't really matter to us anyway. And so we come here in this passage of scripture to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let us then read together in these verses, again, Genesis 19, verses 12, down through 29, where we pick up in the middle of this story. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever else you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up! Get out of this place! For the Lord will destroy this city! But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. 
from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Before we continue, let us again return to our Lord in prayer. Father, these are hard and sobering words which we have read and will now consider as this great tragedy has unfolded in our own history. May you then be with us, Lord, and help us as we hear this word, not to take it lightly, not to be distracted by whatever may be going on in our lives, but to recognize that this is your word to us. And that in the midst of such spiritual darkness, we will see the brightness of the light of Christ. This passage will bring us the hope of Jesus and the deliverance he brings into this world and into our lives. So, Father, we pray that you will be at work through your word. That these words will not return void, will, but will have their full effect. As your spirit works in our hearts and in our minds and digs down into the very depths of our souls. So that we will look to Christ and rejoice in Christ because of the greatness of his salvation in our sin. So we pray these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what does God's word reveal to us here through the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's that God provides us with an escape from the execution of God's judgment. God provides us with an escape from the execution of his judgment. So I want to take this truth and divide it in half this morning as we see this developing through these verses. First, an escape from God's judgment in verses 12 to 22, and then second, the execution of God's judgment in verses 23 to 29. An escape from God's judgment and the execution of God's judgment. Now you remember as the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings has continued how humanity has fallen into sin by rebelling against God. And so our spread then our, our sin then spreads so that wickedness increases and perversity grows. And while we all deserve the wrath of God for our sinfulness, we find God quickly promising us salvation from his wrath, which is why he calls this man Abraham out from sinful humanity to then bless us with this salvation. It's why God enters into a covenant with Abraham, guaranteeing Abraham descendants who will live in the promised land 
and through whom the nations of the world will be blessed. Which is why Abraham responds by believing in God and trusting in God's promises. And he waits then for God to fulfill these promised blessings. So Abraham is given the covenant sign of circumcision to mark out his chosen descendants. And then he enjoys a covenant meal with God in the land to affirm his promised blessings to Abraham. But as the meal comes to a completion, God then reveals to Abraham the judgment that he is about to pour out against Sodom and Gomorrah for their great sinfulness, which is why Abraham intercedes for the righteous who live there. He prays for them to receive mercy in the midst of such judgment. But before God's judgment against these wicked cities come, two angels who appeared as men with God go to visit Sodom, where they find Lot and his family there. Now, Lot, you may remember, is Abraham's nephew, and he separated from Abraham so that he would make his home in the sin-filled world. And specifically in the sin-filled city of Sodom, where he would neglect God's promised blessings for the comforts of this world. Which is why we are meant to compare Abraham's encounter with God and his angels in chapter 18 with Lot's encounter with these divine messengers here in chapter 19. Abraham, we see, is the faithful one, where Lot is the compromised one. And we'll continue to see this as chapter 19 continues. But while these angels are in uh, Lot's home, the men of the city demand his guests for homosexual gang rape. The restraints of sin have been removed. They are now completely consumed by the passions of their lusts. And Lot himself fails to confront their sinfulness or to protect his family, which requires these angels to intervene and keep Lot and his family safe. The angels then have seen for themselves the moral perversion and the sinful wickedness that was needed to serve as God's two witnesses, confirming then his rightness his justice of his judgment coming against them. You may remember God later revealing to Abraham's descendants Israel in Deuteronomy 19.15 that one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. And here we have two witnesses who have established the guilt of these cities. See, however much those living in Sodom may have enjoyed their lives, sin will only end in death and destruction. No matter what temporary pleasures this world may offer. And so the time of God's wrath against these cities has come. And we read what happens next here in these verses. And they begin by the angels asking Lot to gather together his family and leave. But notice how the comparisons with the previous chapter continue. In chapter 18, after a meal with Abraham, the angels ask where Sarah is. Here in chapter 19, after a meal with Lot, the angels ask another question, asking who else lives in the house with Lot. Because they must leave the city before God destroys it. He has heard the outcries of injustice and oppression. And he's now confirmed these charges through his two witnesses. So why, as God had judged the world back in the days of Noah, earlier as we read in Genesis, now we see his judgment again returning 
in the life of Lot. You know, the same word here used of destroy. We will destroy this place, verse 13. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. Also appears in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, when we read, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God's destruction and judgment for sin repeats itself. As was in the days of Noah, now is again in the days of Lot. And so Lot goes to warn his family of this coming judgment. And how do they respond? His sons-in-law, who are likely those from Sodom engaged to his daughters, don't take him seriously. What do they do? The end of verse 14, they think he's joking. They laugh. This is no big deal. They laugh in unbelief, much as Sarah had laughed in chapter 18. But whereas she repents of her laughter, Lot's sons-in-laws here remain in their unbelief. Do you see how Lot's sons-in-law, those who are willing to marry into his family, don't take God or his warning through Lot seriously? But in their love for the world, they dismiss God's judgment for their sin as silly nonsense. And how often is God's judgment seen as a joke today? This is nothing to take seriously. Hell is trivialized or even dismissed as a primitive mythology. Fire and brimstone preaching is openly mocked because we are more enlightened. And yet, we're really no different than those living in the days of Sodom in our sin. We read of the same attitude continuing in the New Testament. Let's turn together to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, and we'll read all the way from verse 1 to verse 14 because we see this same scoffing happening as scoffers walk in their own lusts and deny the coming of God's judgment. 2 Peter 3, let's begin with verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perishes being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see then how Sodom serves as a picture of the greater day of judgment to come? 
when Christ returns. The same kind of scoffing and laughing and dismissing continues. Or turning back to Genesis 19, as the morning begins to dawn, time is running out. So the angels urge Lot to hurry with the rest of his family because they don't want his wife or his daughters to be punished. But do you know what is so hard to read? It's the beginning of verse 16. He lingered. He lingered. He remains reluctant. We continue to see the tragic failure of Lot's faith here as he wrestles over leaving his home. How easily we seek to hang on to our sin rather than to hate and forsake it in repentance. We find then Lot here is completely dependent on God and these angels to be delivered from his judgment because of God's mercy to them, not because of anything in Lot or anything Lot would do. So it is then these divine messengers from God, these angels who bring out him and his wife and his two daughters out of the city. Now, they're not quite dragged kicking and screaming here. But notice the forceful language that's used. They had to be taken by the hand and brought out of the city because they would not have left on their own. And even as they leave the city, do you hear how the angels are pleading with Lot's family? The whole Jordan Valley will be judged for their sinfulness. So they're told, escape to the mountains. Run for your lives. But Lot has become so comfortable here in sin that he doesn't realize the seriousness and the severity of God's judgment. So Lot is told, hurry, leave everything behind and don't look back which is the same warning that Jesus himself gives to his disciples when he calls them to follow him. We read in Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus saying, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you see then that we must not look back to our old life and our previous way of living? Longing for the way we used to live. When we have escaped God's judgment, we've escaped to then live in God's presence and should strive to live lives pleasing to him as we wait for the end of the age to come. So Lot and his family have been brought out of the city. But even now, after all God has done for them, we see Lot wrestling over obeying God and trusting in him, don't we? He continues to speak to these angels and makes a request. Now, he begins by appreciating God's kindness and mercy and saving them from his judgment, but notice the heart of what he asks. He doesn't want to live in the mountains. He doesn't think he can make it. That's why I appreciate Bruce Waltke's comments here. He writes, Lot's fear illustrates the irrationality of unbelief. God has sent his servants to rescue Lot, and Lot is still fears that he will not be protected. He's not trusting in God. He's still looking for what will be best for him in this world. So again, unlike Abraham's selfless request to save the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 18, 
We find now in chapter 19, Lot making a selfish request so that a city will be saved for himself. He still wants an earthly city to call his own. And so the, the city is actually called Bela back in Genesis 12 too, but now we find a new name, Zoar, which comes from the word that means little city. Do you recognize Lot's reasoning? He's saying, look, since Sodom's a big town with lots of sin, surely Zoar is a little town with less sin. So Lot asks, why not escape to live there? Even now, Lot wants to enjoy the comforts of city life rather than a life in the mountains waiting for God's promised blessings. This reminds me so often of how we reason with God. Oh God, it's just a little sin. Isn't this how we so often excuse our decisions? Oh, it's not a big sin, just a little one. This is Lot's reasoning. And look at how amazing God's grace is. He doesn't give up on Lot. He listens to Lot's request and allows him to escape there. God's judgment will not come against this city so that Lot and his family can live there. How overwhelming then is God's mercy and grace. How undeserving Lot is of such a mercy. And so again, Lot is told to hurry. Why? Because God will wait to execute his judgment to make sure that Lot will escape. This is almost an unfathomable display. God's grace and mercy. Do you see then, no matter how much we may have messed up through all the bad choices and the sinful actions we have made, we ourselves can hope in God's saving work which delivers us from God's judgment. Lot is not too far gone in his worldliness. But God, out of his love for Abraham and his covenant commitments to Abraham, makes sure that Lot's deliverance will be complete before his judgment comes. But brothers and sisters, Sodom and Gomorrah, as we have seen, is not only a historical event, it also gives us a preview of the greater day of judgment to come. So how will you respond? How will you respond to this coming day of judgment which will condemn your sin against God? Will you laugh it off as silly nonsense? Or will you listen to God's word as you look for his deliverance. Escape before it's too late. God does provide an escape from the execution of his judgment. But before we look more closely at this escape, let us first continue in verses 23 to 29 to consider the execution of God's judgment. We find in verse 23 now, the sun has risen above the earth as Lot enters Zoar. And in the ancient world, the rising of the sun is when courts would be held in the ancient city. This is because there was an Akkadian god, Shamash, who was the sun god of justice. But this time, we have the true god who's gone to court to execute true judgment against these cities. And God the judge has carried out the trial in the courtroom of Sodom. 
Two witnesses have confirmed their guilt. And so the time has come for these sinners to pay the penalty of their sin. So once Lot has entered the city of Zoar, we read this familiar grim scene where fire and brimstone rain down from heaven on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Once again, rain brings God's judgment. Rain brought God's judgment in the days of Noah as water brought God's judgment of a flood. But here we see it once again raining in judgment. And this time it's raining down fire. Imagine then burning volcanic rock which is falling down from the sky in judgment. See, this is not a mere natural disaster with a great earthquake or bolts of lightning. This is supernatural destruction. And we all know the horrific result. The total destruction of these cities in the entire region. All the people living there die. Even the grass that grew on the ground is consumed by the fire. This destruction is huge. Now, we've had some major national disasters that have taken years to clean up and recover from. We've experienced nothing like this. God's judgment against these sinners is far greater. And so like Noah's flood, we find God's destruction here being total and complete. And all life is completely annihilated in the Jordan Valley. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. How things have changed. This, you remember the, the Jordan Valley was a rich valley. When Lot originally looked out at it, he chose it because he saw that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. But now God's creation has been destroyed in judgment because of sin. This is the tragic result of our sinfulness. But if this wasn't enough, we see Lot's own wife regrets leaving her home among these wicked cities and disobeys God's command to look back at what she has lost. Now, while Sarah had humbled herself when she was rebuked for her unbelief and then she was promised a son, here we find Lot's wife remaining in her unbelief. And so she is judged by God. Because she looks back in longing over what she has lost and becomes a pillar of salt. Now, why salt? Well, after a city was destroyed in judgment during this time, salt would then be poured on top of it to condemn it never to produce anything again. You see, salt symbolized death. And because Lot's wife longed for her home in this world in unbelief, she was judged by God and turned to salt never to have life again. Jesus himself speaks of this. Let's turn to another passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 17, verses 22 to 37. Because... What we find in Lot's wife's death under judgment becomes a warning for us all. She shows us what will happen to those who turn away from Christ in our love for this world. And we will be judged by him when he returns. So let us then read together Luke 17 again. 
beginning with verse 22. Then he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go out after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Remember Lot's wife. We must not look back in longing for this world and the sin which deserves and is under the judgment of God. But as we look at Genesis 19, these verses don't end in destruction and despair, but with the hope of deliverance. So in the final verses here of this passage, we return to Abraham, who early in the morning returns to where he stood with the Lord and where he prayed for God's mercy in his judgment. And when he looks towards the land where the cities are, what does he see? But the smoke that is rising up from this destruction is the smoke coming up of a furnace because everything there has been burned. What would have been going through the mind of Abraham when, what, when he saw all this, these billows of smoke? What would he have felt in his heart as the smoke, as the smoke continued to rise. I'm sure he soberly reflected upon the sinfulness of humanity that deserves such judgment. But as we come to verse 29, don't miss why. God delivers Lot from his judgment. In the midst of this judgment, God provided an escape. We read, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, which he overthrew the, overthrew the cities in which the Lord had dwelt. So don't miss this. Because God remembered Abraham. Lot is saved. You may remember when God delivered Noah. Read in Genesis 8 verse 1. God remembered Noah. So Noah's family was saved. But now again when God delivers Lot. We read here in this verse how God remembered 
Abraham. It is then through Abraham that God's promise of salvation would come, and so Lot is saved through Abraham from God's wrath to show the greater salvation to come. You see, as God saved Lot for the sake of Abraham, so God saves us for the sake of Christ. And he is the one who has become our righteousness because it is Christ who God himself becomes the promised descendant of Abraham and then lives the life of righteousness we refuse to live in our sin. And it is then this promised man who takes the very punishment of God as the wrath of God is poured out upon him as he is hung on the cross and dies for us. Here then is our escape from the execution of God's judgment. There is only one way of escape. And it is through the righteous descendant of Abraham, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to one more passage of scripture. Let's go back to second Peter. Look at chapter two, verses four to nine, because I want us to listen to how the New Testament describes Lot. Second Peter two, we read again of God's destruction in judgment through history and what it means for us. So let's begin by looking at verse four. We read, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And here, verse six, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. You see, this is where our hope is found. But you know, in reading Genesis 19, if, if 2 Peter wasn't in Scripture... I don't think I would have ever called Lot a righteous man. But his righteousness was not found in his strength. His righteousness was not found in his faithfulness. His righteousness came through Christ, who is our righteousness. As we look to him in faith and are saved. So do you see then how God provides an escape from the execution of his judgment? Praise God, he provides us with an escape from the execution of the very judgment that we deserve for our sin. And our escape is Jesus Christ, the one who fulfills God's promised blessings to Abraham. So don't look back to the world, but look to the cross with eyes of faith. Turn away from your sin in repentance by looking forward to your escape from the execution of God's judgment and an eternity of enjoyment in God's presence. A greater blessing than we could ever deserve in our sin. 
See, whether you have the faith of Abraham or you have the faith of Lot, as long as you have faith in Jesus Christ, judgment will not overcome you in condemnation, but you will be saved. But brothers and sisters, and all who have gathered together this morning, as smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace before Abraham, so smoke is rising even now from the fires of hell. So we need to take some time this morning to hear words of warning from Jesus himself. Because Jesus takes this example of Sodom and Gomorrah and warns us of what happens if we do not remember this tragedy and repent of our sins by believing in Christ. He speaks then to these cities in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. Hear these words of warning. Then Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. See, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and spurn God's love in unbelief and an unrepentant heart, our judgment will be greater than the great tragedy the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's only in Christ that this then tragedy is turned into a triumph of God's mercy. So this morning, rather than immediately moving to a song, we're going to have a time in observing a moment of silence as we reflect upon the great tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. So after I pray, let us take some time to reflect upon what this tragedy in history reveals to each one of us this morning in our own hearts so that none of us will come to the day of judgment and suffer the destruction of our souls under the wrath of God through the fire of his judgment. Let us pray. Father, these are weighty words Please do not let us take them lightly. In as far as we have taken your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace for granted without recognizing your righteousness, your holiness, your justice, we ask that you Forgive us. The only way, Father, that your love and your mercy and your grace are provided to us is because of Christ, who on the cross, your justice of judgment and your love of mercy came together. 
as He sacrificed Himself for us. So may we not look to ourselves to get out of whatever mess we may be in. Because our sin is far too great. It is far too deep. May we look to Christ and His escape from the execution of your judgment. May He be the one in which we find our hope. And as we consider the very smoke of the fires of hell, may we realize the only way of escape is provided in Christ, which means that all of those, Father, living around us, everyone in this community, friends, family members, fellow students, co-workers, neighbors, will all face this coming destruction without Christ. May we be then be those who hurry to bring the good news of the escape you have provided from the execution of your judgment in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen.